This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. It's an uneventful day in February, and our producer, Jay McAuliffe, says goodbye to Candace Bennett after interviewing her for our third episode. In just a few weeks, everything will change for Candace and for the country. Governor Doug Ducey has activated the National Guard and ordered all restaurants in counties with confirmed cases of COVID-19 to cease dining The economic rescue package is the largest ever adopted in the nation's history and was finally passed after days of 10... The COVID-19 pandemic will force the whole nation to start social distancing by staying at least six feet apart from other people. The CDC will begin recommending all Americans wear masks when leaving their home to stop the virus from spreading. But unlike many Americans who will be free to shop for groceries and visit essential services if they need to, the residents of the Emanuel Care Center in Peoria won't be able to leave at all. Yeah, I guess the first question is, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Just kind of a little isolated at the moment. We have to have our meals in our room because we can't really have um, large groups in the dining room to gather. The Emanuel Care Center is in lockdown. Candace Bennett and the other residents face the threat of isolation, more so than ever before. This is Inaccessible, a Here Arizona podcast. I'm Andrea Pasquale, the director of Sun Sounds of Arizona, a reading and information service for people who can't read or hold print because of a disability. I've been working with people with disabilities for over 15 years. This show is about the issues that people with disabilities face in Arizona and the resources that exist to help them. Today we're talking about COVID-19 and how this public health crisis has changed the lives of people with disabilities. First, let's step back a moment and take a look at where this started. Early on, um, we began getting some communications from the state of Washington from the home care industry. Phil Pangrazio is the president of Ability360, and our producer, Jay McAuliffe, spoke with him at the beginning of March. You know, obviously, the state of Washington was hit pretty hard with uh, the coronavirus, and so they were, you know, probably the earliest state that had to really um, address the issue uh, quickly. He's talking about the Life Care Center of Kirkland, Washington. It was an early epicenter of COVID cases in the U.S. More than 40 deaths from the virus were linked to that nursing home. Nursing homes around the country began locking down their facilities in an effort to prevent similar situations from happening. I just want to make it clear that people understand that what we're attempting to do is to protect the elderly. Michael Thomas is the administrator for Emmanuel. Folks who live here that are older and frail. For seniors and people with disabilities. COVID-19 can be especially dangerous. The CDC says people age 65 or older account for 8 out of 10 coronavirus-related deaths in the U.S. Those that are affected most negatively are those with more concurrent illnesses, or we call them comorbidities. April Hill is an emergency nurse practitioner at Team Health, and she's also an instructor at Arizona State University's nursing school. Even your patients with like asthma, so obviously that would reach into your your younger population, not just your older population, and then any of your special needs um, individuals as well. So for example, people with Down syndrome, anything that kind of limits your uh, body's ability to fight 
diseases naturally because you're already processing your other diseases that you have will make it harder if you're exposed to something like the flu or coronavirus and then your body has to fight that. Marcos Castillo, a disability rights advocate we've spoken to in previous episodes, says this makes the coronavirus more than just an issue of public health. It's fundamentally a story about disability. There's obviously plenty of us in the disability community who fall within the groups that are going to be affected by, you know. I've tried not to be so cynical about it in my talks, but we know that that people with disabilities are the first to be denigrated and the last to be elevated. Um, You know, we've seen it throughout history, and we even see it in talks now when we hear people say, Things like, oh, well, it's only affecting the elderly. Well, dude, the elderly is my grandma. The elderly, when you, when you use that broad term, the elderly, you're talking about groups of people with underlying conditions. Well, that's a d- disability community. Those are, you know, 15, 20, 40-year-old people that happen to have some form of disability be it immunological or um, immunosuppressed or um, respiratory. So it's, you see a lot of this language starting to come out and you, you fear for your communities. There's been a lot of reporting on the national level, even internationally, um, <clears throat> but there's not a lot of clarity about you know, where people with disabilities stand uh, on the list of priorities. When, when it comes to health care. John Myers is the executive director of the ARC of Arizona, an advocacy group for the intellectual and developmental disabilities communities in the state. He says he's concerned that the needs of people with disabilities might be placed lower than those of able-bodied people during a crisis like this. If you're put in a situation where you're having to make a decision between somebody who seems otherwise to be normal and healthy and, 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 and capable of living a long life and somebody who has a disability and you're not sure of what their life expectancy might be, it, it, it might, I don't want to say it's human nature, maybe it is human nature to think I'm going to treat the person who seems to have the greatest life expectancy um, before I treat the other person. I'm not in any way saying that there is this evil plan out there or that people are are, uh, discriminatory in in their conscious thinking, but um, it is a danger that we face because people with disabilities for too long in our society have been considered to be of less value because they aren't they don't contribute as much. And um, that's really dangerous thinking. And it's untrue. It's untrue. It's just that people with disabilities contribute in a different way than people without disabilities. So again, I, we, we haven't seen instances of this, or we haven't seen any gross instances of this in Arizona, and we hope that we don't. But we just know that, that historically, it's, it's been true that people with disabilities are treated differently in the healthcare environment and in the education environment and employment and in so many other walks of life. And we, we wanna do everything possible to raise awareness of that, to, um, to raise people's consciousness of the need to treat all people equally um, and, and, and to provide equal respect and dignity to people with and without disabilities. Luckily, Arizona hasn't yet seen the number of cases like in Washington or New York. 
although the Arizona Department of Health is also refusing to release exact data on which nursing homes have confirmed cases. In Maricopa County, which has released more detailed data, over half of the reported COVID-19-related deaths have been in long-term care facilities. Providers for people with disabilities also face a unique challenge. In order to care for their patients, practicing social distancing is sometimes impossible. Ann Monahan is part of the Arizona Association of Providers for People with Disabilities, and she's president of the Arizona Autism Coalition. When you're working with an individual who he needs, maybe has, you know, hand-to-hand instruction or, or you have, um, they have hygiene needs, right? When you're working with those individuals, you have to touch them. There is no option. You can wear gloves, you can do all of that. Um, And, you know, our providers are very, very cognizant of that. And they're willing to do anything really to help as much as they possibly can. But the reality is, you know, social distancing will only work in a few circumstances and situations. The majority of these services are one-on-one direct services. So that means you're working directly with, you know, one person. In their homes, If you have multiple, and families will tell you this, I spoke to a family last week, they will tell you, they said, you know, we put our services on hold for a little bit because we didn't want other individuals, you know, even our providers who they loved, they just didn't want them coming into the home. This has created a situation where some providers for people with disabilities are rapidly losing money. Here's John Myers again. The, the, the folks who run day programs for people with IDD, for example, they were included in the governor's executive order about essential services. So they were, um, there was an order saying that they could remain open, that uh, there was no order mandating that they close. The problem was, in order to protect the health and safety of, of the members who go to those programs, it was often necessary to close them. <clears throat> in doing so, though, Um, because they were considered essential services uh, and because the Division of Developmental Disabilities um, was unable or unwilling to make a financial commitment to keep them whole. For every day they were closed, they lost all the revenue from the state that they would typically get for providing services to the people who come to their programs. They were put in they were put in 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 a no-win situation basically. They um, they had to look out for the health and safety of the people they serve, or they had to look out for their own financial well-being. And most of them chose to, to look out for the safety of the people they serve. But uh, again, the, the, the state was unwilling to make a commitment to them that their lost revenue would be made up. So many of them are suffering even greater financial hardship right now without that revenue. And there is great concern in the provider community that, that when this pandemic passes, we will have uh, a lot fewer providers serving people with IDD than we had when it started. And in a system that's already short of uh, providers, already short of funding, that just creates a world of new concerns and a world of, of new problems uh, for people with IDD. John says this disruption of services can exacerbate feelings of isolation, sometimes experienced by people with disabilities. Particularly people with cognitive disabilities, 
the disruption has probably been even greater because uh, people with intellectual or developmental disabilities quite often have difficulty adjusting to change as, as readily or as easily as uh, people who don't have cognitive disabilities. More than that, it disrupts their activity. It disrupts the things that are beneficial to them, like skills building, like habilitation, uh, like exercise and activity. All of the things that, that normally make up their lives are now either eliminated or significantly curtailed. And, and because of that, uh, they are not, they're, they're going to suffer health effects, and many people are already. We do know that because they're not able to be as active, because they're not able to be out and engaged as much, they are suffering physical health effects, and they are suffering um, behavioral health effects. So what can be done to help people with disabilities right now? To help reduce the threat of isolation, Anne Monahan recommends calling and checking in with people with disabilities. Social components are extremely important. Interaction with others, integration in society is very, very important to our population. And it should be, and they should maintain that. The problem is if they're alone, if they have providers who are not coming to their homes or to their group homes or wherever they may be, you do worry about that isolation for them. And, you know, some of the suggestions that I've heard is, you know, use FaceTime, right? Get on and, and talk to somebody so they don't feel like they're on their own. If for any reason you can't work with them one-on-one -on -one Skype or, you know, whatever you need to do so that person still knows that they belong and they know that, you know, we've got their back and we're there for them as much as possible. You know, we have invested in technology so so we can uh, we can do remote uh, activities. Although it's closed its fitness center and stopped in-person support groups, Ability360 is trying to reach people with disabilities online. Uh, we can, we're going to still offer a lot of our, uh, whether it's support groups or social recreational kinds of activities, we'll, we'll continue to do those and, and do them from home. So, you know, as much as we can do some of those things on a remote basis. And beyond the immediate issues, John Myers has a few ideas for what we can do in the future. There are a couple of things that, that will absolutely put us in a better place when something like this happens again and that we have learned from, from the Great Recession and our, I will say, our state's failure to fully, um, to fully recover, at least as far as uh, IDD services are concerned. What happened in 2009, 2010, 2011, happened for a, a series of years uh, as the effects of the recession hit Arizona was um, the state made financial cuts to the DD service uh, system. And those cuts did uh, long lasting damage to the provider network, to the ability of the state and the providers with whom it contracts to adequately serve this population. Even today, even 10 years uh, after the recovery from the recession started, we still do not fully fund the needs of the DD system. So providers <clears throat> are, are really squeezed. 
and and they have to make decisions about <clears throat> excuse me about what their priorities are. One of the I mean one of the basic priorities is you've got to pay your staff and. And, and, and the way the situation is set up now, providers don't have enough money to prepare for everything. They've, they've got to pay their, their personnel, they've got to manage their facilities. But what we found with, with this pandemic is that one of the things they couldn't do was prepare the kind of equipment, have the, you know, the personal protective equipment on hand that they desperately need in group homes and in day programs, in congregate settings. They desperately need this equipment, but they didn't have the funding to lay in store large quantities of it. So most providers across the state in, in the past month have really been scrambling to try and get their hands on that. And as we know, there's been shortages around the country. So, you know, they're, they're in this um, constant struggle to locate it and then to be able to get their hands on it and to be able to afford it. So one of the things I guess we could learn is, the, the greatest thing I guess we could learn is we really need to invest more financially in the DD service system so that our providers are are capable of meeting all the demands on them. This is not easy work. Caring for the roughly 35,000 Arizonans who are Arizona long-term care system members who get ongoing services, who get daily services, who live in group homes or developmental homes, go to day programs, are cared for in every corner of the state by provider agencies, large and small, making sure that they are given the respect and the investment that they that they really need, so that providers can have can have I don't want to say a cushion, but can have the the funds they need to to look forward and say you know we can't see everything, but we can see that personal protective equipment is almost always necessary in any kind of pandemic situation, any kind of widespread health condition, whether it's influenza, whether it's COVID-19, uh, whether it's something that we can't necessarily even envision in the future. We just know those kinds of things are gonna be necessary. So funding, funding is absolutely essential, funding for the system. If there's one thing the COVID-19 pandemic is laying bare, it's that the disparity in equal access for people with disabilities is still all about the money. It's something to keep in mind as the world hangs over the brink of another recession. When the dust settles, will public funding for people with disabilities be prioritized or minimized? Today we shifted gears to talk about the pandemic and its impact on public health access since it's been disrupting every aspect of people's lives. And we'll be continuing to address COVID-19 for as long as it continues to disrupt the lives of people with disabilities. Next episode, we'll be taking a look at the challenges people with disabilities are facing as they search for work right now. This has been Episode 4 of Inaccessible from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. For more information on issues affecting older adults in Arizona, check out our Here Arizona Aging podcast. Please tell all your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona or Inaccessible on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify, and since our goal is to help empower our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 
If you want to share your own story about living life in Phoenix with a disability, just send a note to our producer, Jay McAuliffe, at jaymcauliffe at kjzz.org. To find out more about the organizations and Arizona nonprofits that assist people with disabilities, head over to our resource page at hearearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Jay McAuliffe and hosted by me, Andrea Pasquale. Our script was edited by Chad Snow. Elinda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>